Well, we're finally at it. Um, been waiting to get to Galatians for a while. And uh, it's going to be a, a very intensely deep and ever-givening book. You know, I'm going to say this <clears throat> to my shame, actually. Several, several, several years ago, before I even came back to Idaho, um, I actually thought, well, you know, I've got this Bible thing down pretty good. I think I, think I understand pretty much all of it. I've, I've, I get the themes. Well, uh, these past, especially six years, seven years, have been an enormous eye-opener for me personally, as God has been revealing more of His Word to me. And the more He reveals, if I was to say, the bigger it gets, the smaller my understanding gets, but at the same time, the bigger my view of Christ gets. It, it's just so many things have, have opened up. And I think this, I think the Scripture should change us. Amen? And I think that we should change as we, as we are sanctified. Uh, I think sanctification brings a conformity to Christ, and, and that conformity comes by being conformed to His image. And, and how can we test that, that image except by the Scripture, which bears out who His or what his image is. And so as we grow in the word, we change. We discard things that are no good. We, we detect error in, in what we thought. We gain new insights. We should always be changing. And, and so I think the scripture, as we, as we study it, it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if you're, if you're stuck in your Bible study, if you think you're stuck in your faith, in your attempt to try to pull yourself out, just remember it starts this with this, that do you want to know Christ more? Do you love his word? Go before him in prayer. Be honest about your condition and say, God, grow me. Now show me who you are and, and just stay there until you see Jesus. And, uh, and so as we get going into Galatians uh, I, I hope that you can make this out. I, I'm pretty lousy about making out themes for uh, presentations. And, and I use these things sort of as my notes primarily, but then to just kind of let you guys be able to, to stay glued to uh, where we are. But <clears throat> this is actually a picture out of Donegal, Ireland. And, and I think it's really pretty. So I used it. Yeah. I don't know if I'll keep it, but it's what we have today. But I'm calling this series as we're going through Galatians, all six chapters, the magnificent preeminent gospel. The magnificent preeminent gospel. We got through talking about preeminence. JT preached about preeminence last week. And that's Christ being above and before all things. And so the gospel then is Jesus. Therefore, it is a preeminent gospel. We talked about the proto-evangelium as it contained there in Genesis 3.15. That there would be one who would bruise his head and he would bruise his heel as the first uh, gospel that there would be a Messiah to come. We also have in that a, the doctrine of grace being inaugurated for us. Or I'm sorry, the, co the covenant of grace being inaugurated for us. And so Galatians <clears throat> is the book, I think, that, that, that grandstands this magnificent preeminent gospel and that's the theme of it 
And of course, there's lots and lots and lots of layers to it. But that theme is the magnificent, preeminent gospel. So today's going to be introductory. And I'm going to do my level best to get through it. Because as always, I bring more than we need. But I'll do my, I'll do my level best and I'll covet your prayers as we go through it. So in honor of God and His Word, let us stand and turn to Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be reading simply today for introductory purposes, verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 10. Let us read together. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. I like that, okay? He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, or to, yeah, according to the will of our God and Father. So you see right there the gospel, right? To him be glory forever and ever. And then here's, here's the thrust of the, of the book. I marvel, he says in verse 6, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For, for do I now persuade men or God or who or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So this whole letter is about preserving the glory and the unity and the purity of the magnificent, preeminent gospel of Christ. And then that gospel compared to what these false gospels are. So let's pray. Lord, we have a long and glorious journey in front of us. It's full of thick and rich doctrine of who you are. And you just keep giving. So Lord, I pray for myself to not mess up and say dumb things. And God, that you would open all of our understanding to understand what your word is trying to say to us, to communicate to us that there is no other gospel save that of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, and rose again. So God, help us today to see this and try to understand what it is that you were conveying through your servant Paul to those Christians in Galatia. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so Galatia, the land of Gaul, or Galatia, the Gauls, okay, uh, were um, primarily a um, Celtic people. And boy, when you start studying about that, you can really go lots of places. So I was just curious, were the Irish part of that? And at first it said no. Then later archaeological evidence recently discovered last year says yes. Whatever the fact is, I guess there's Celtic peoples in two groups and they split off. And primarily though, they say that 
for the Galatians of this time, uh, those of the French bear uh, largely the biggest uh, relationship. But yet, it still all comes from there. And, and so, I was reading, well, what did the Gauls look like? What did the Galatians look like? Well, they were very fair-complected. Uh, well, they would be your blonde hair, blue-eyed people, green-eyed people, light-skinned people. And I learned that they, because they had a lot of blonde hair, they liked to actually accent that by, by rinsing their hair with lime water to make it even more uh, brilliant, I guess. And then apparently their women were very severe fighters if they got mad at you. Because you can read about just these, these historical comments about these people and that, that, that the men were intimidating, but the women were even more so because they'd come punching at you and kicking at you, and then they compared it to like uh, those, ding, uh, what do they call those, trebuchets. <laughs> they compared them to battle weapons. So a feisty bunch of people, the Gauls were, Galatians. Um, AD 48, roughly, is when they think the letter was written. And I think that's important because uh, there are several theories. Uh, there's, there's the Northern Galatia theory of, 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 author, of uh, timing. Then there's the Southern Galatian theory of timing. And all in all, when it comes down to it, most believe that the letter was written before the Jerusalem Council. If you recall in Acts 15 about the things that the, that the Gentile Christians did not have to do in keeping the law of Moses and then a few of the things that they should abstain from. So the Galatian letter was written before that event. And I think the text brings that out very nicely. But in, in essence, what we're dealing with then is the occasion of the letter was that of dealing with legalism, okay? So we have that still in our day. And uh, as we, whoops, that's not how that's supposed to work. Okay, I'm still learning how to use my iPad. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea then that Galatians is about. And that is the idea of, are we saved? Is the gospel of Christ about human merit plus Jesus? Or is it just about Jesus and his mercy? Is it about our merit gaining favor with God, adding Jesus to put us over the top into acceptance? Or is it about Christ's perfect righteousness, Him being our propitiation, therefore, therefore uh, commending us to God? That's, so, so that is the reason that Galatians was penned. It was this question. Well, the question is still with us, apparently. So this comes from an August 4, 2020 survey. Salvation through Christ attracts just one in three adults. More believe it can be earned. This is from the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University, American Worldview Inventory, 2020. So it's not that old, really. It says, new research shows that unlike past generations who readily recognize the reality of sin and the need for salvation through Jesus Christ, American adults today increasingly adopt a salvation-can-be-earned perspective. Now, again... That was the Galatian controversy. So, with a and and, and, it's, and it says with a plurality of elders, uh, I'm with a plurality of elders. With a plurality, I can't talk today. Let me back up. With a plurality of adults, 48% believing that if a person is generally good or does enough good things during their life, 
They will earn a place in heaven. Brandy brought this up in Sunday school class. If God were to let you, what would, if you were to die today and God were to say, why should I let you into, into heaven? What would you say? And the number one response is, well, I'm a good person. Okay, so that's very much true of our day. Um, believing that if a person is generally good or does enough good things during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. Only one third of adults disagreed with that, 35% according to the findings from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Now, you think when you read that, you go, well, okay, but lost people think like that. I mean, that's just, you know, everyone's lazy until it comes to spiritual stuff. Then we want to do our work. But here's the part. Most surprising in the latest findings from the American Worldview Inventory in 2020 is that a majority of people who describe themselves as Christian, 52%, except a works-oriented means to God's acceptance. More shocking, huge proportions of people associated with churches whose official doctrine says eternal salvation comes only from embracing Jesus Christ as Savior believe that a person can qualify for heaven by being or doing good. So we see that huge proportions of people who belong to churches whose confession of faith, also known as a statement of faith, uh, believe that it can't be earned, they're kind of leaning more towards that it can. That includes close to half of all adults associated with Pentecostal, 46%, mainline Protestant, 44%, and evangelical, 41%. And of course, a much larger share of Catholics, 70%, embrace that point of view. Of course, that's not surprising with them. The point is, is that that I got out of this was even in churches who have in their founding documents a confession of faith that states that salvation cannot be earned, that Christ is the perfect propitiation for our sins, and that it is through repentance and faith and only in Him, we're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Even with churches that have that, a majority actually are not believing it anymore. They're, they're starting to slip in a works-based righteousness. It is very much prominent in our day. It's, and especially in Western Christianity. Because on one hand, even though the church is growing by over 1.25% over the actual uh, death rate, the church is outpacing Okay, it's globally. In Western nations, it's declining a lot. And it's declining, I think, because the churches have forgot their doctrine. They've forgotten their doctrine of faith. It's overlooked. Oh, it's just that paperwork that we have. It doesn't matter. And so people begin to take their cues on being justified before God from prominent Christian fiction, which is based on... I don't know. I guess you'd have to vet your author before you read their stuff, right? Most Christians don't do that. Most Christians think when they walk into a Christian bookstore, which is probably the most dangerous thing you can do for your soul, okay? And I'm not kidding. It's a true fact. Uh, Lifeway Christian Resources of the Southern Baptist, anyway, you can buy clerical collars and you can get into all kinds of bizarro stuff. You know, they died and went to heaven. Now here's their message, you know, and And here's how you can help God help you. And I mean, there are all kinds of stuff like that. So 
people, all of that is a, ends in a works-based faith because it makes God small and man big. And that's all that is in the beginning. So this was pretty eye-opening. It's not just a Galatian problem. It's a current problem. Okay? Now, victory in Jesus, you would think, is I can't mess. All I can do is mess up. I need a God who can save me, not just assist me. I need a God who can be my commanding general. I need a, I need a totalitarian God Almighty in my life because I know what I'm capable of. I, I don't need him just to give me a boost which that whole idea of God giving you a boost and then calling it grace is the ancient heresy of Pelagianism. Okay, because that's really what he taught. Grace is just a boost for you to do what you can do and God has really no business to helping you there. So look at these, uh, these indictments from Paul on the occasion of this letter. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 brings it out. I marvel. He's astonished. That they are turning away so soon from him who called them into the grace of Christ. To a different gospel. And then he says, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you. And the word for trouble, as we're going to find out as we go through next week, is confuse you. Now, wouldn't we all agree, regardless of our understanding of the doctrine of, of salvation, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of man... We would all agree as, as, as brothers and sisters in the Lord who are seeking Jesus that we could say the Western church, the American church, as, one, as part of that, a lot of Christians are confused. Would you say that? They're confused on stuff. I mean, the, the things that they're promoting, you, you think, what are you doing? Why are you saying that? Um, and so that was true of Galatia. It's true of our time. But he says, but listen, even if we, and I think I can do this. Now watch this. You're going to, I think this is cool. But even, you like that, huh? All right. <laughs> Preacher found tech. Okay. I might even do this. But even, okay. This is very John Piper. Okay. <laughs> Rain it in. Okay. But even if we. Or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Accursed. Anathema. Damned. That's strong language. You understand. So, so then you got to think of it this way. And I'm going to have to hurry because I have so much to do. But anyway, when we, when we see evangelical Christians... Pentecostals and Baptists and Methodists and whatever, and they align themselves with willful uh, well, if they willfully align themselves with other Christian groups that have set the, the Scripture aside and the authority of Scripture aside, if they willfully do that for a good work, they're getting into some pretty dangerous territory. Because according to Paul, if he were around, he would probably be kicking them in the teeth. Paul was very offended by these kinds of things. And so much so that if we remember in the book of Acts, 
I believe, or maybe it was Galatians. I don't, my mind is very, yeah. He got mad at Peter for sitting with Jews and, pretend, and, and not talking to the Gentiles anymore. And, and so Paul took great issue with that kind of activity. So he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So there it is again. He's mentioned it twice. If anyone brings any other gospel to you than what was t- brought to you, let them be damned. Damned. What does that mean? It doesn't have anything to do with water. Okay? This has to do with eternal torment and punishment in hell forever. That was his attitude towards those who bring a false gospel. So, no, it's not funny when you see confessing churches in, 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 in evangelical traditional denominations standing arm in arm with LDS missionaries. That's not funny. That's not good. It's not good when you allow any other, other of those kinds of different teachings to somehow coalesce and come into the Christian church and say, we can all get along for a good cause to add a sandwich to a lonely person. No. Paul takes issue here. And we have to wake up to this issue too. Again, that's why we have the book of Galatians. He goes on to say in Galatians 2.15 and 16, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus. Because he knew that this was coming by the hands of Jews to those Christians who were in Galatia. And they actually probably were two kinds of groups of Jews. Jews who just hated the gospel of Christ and wanted to keep anyone away from it. And the other group who we would call Christian Jews who really thought that in order to be right with God, you still had to keep the Mosaic law. So there was probably two groups. But even he says, even we know that we can't be justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the flesh, no one shall be justified. Do you see that? By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now you remember that one line right there. Because as we go through the entire book of Galatians, he's going to keep coming back to that. And you have to make a choice. A person has to make a choice. Am I going to be justified by my efforts? Or am I going to be justified by Christ alone? And what he did and his work on the cross. And in Galatians 3.3 he says, and this is probably my most favorite verse of all. Are you so foolish Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? I, I just, I want to, I will want to do this because I can. Okay. But it illustrates the point. This is the, I'm going to put a star. See, okay. This is it. But, and for, and I think this is really where for me personally, the book of Galatians becomes so effective. I, I am a, I, I lean towards legalism. And I'm not alone in that. I've talked to a lot of you. Again, I believe people can be really, really lazy until it comes to spiritual things. It is in our nature 
to want to commend ourselves to God. So here's where I struggle. And, and Jerry Bridges brings this, really, this point out really well in the works he writes, especially the pursuit of holiness. I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. I know there's nothing I can do to earn it. I know that. I, I completely and com- I'm totally dependent on Christ alone for my salvation. I know on the day when my, de- when my time comes, whether it's by squishing or something, I don't know, but if there's time to think on it, okay, that'd be awful. So if I, when I sense death taking hold of me, I lean on Jesus alone just as much. He, he, only he can preserve me and take my soul to him. I know that. But here's where I get a little bit wonky. Wonky is a theological term. Right, JT? That's right. I seem to think that I can, if I do, if I do good, God will love me more. I seem to think that I can get his attention more if I pray more and read my Bible more and, and not sin as much. You see what's happening here? What, what am I doing? Well, I, I, I'm dealing with this part. Am I, I'm being foolish. I'm, I begun in the spirit, but I actually think some, at some level in me that I'm being made perfect by my flesh. That is not the doctrine of sanctification. That is selfication. Okay? Now, Show of hands, who all can fall into that? That's what I thought. See, the rest of you can counsel us later. <clears throat> are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now being made perfect by the flesh? You are now being made mature by the flesh. My flesh is anything but mature. Okay, you ought to hear the things that go on inside. Okay, whoops. So what I want to do now is I want to read about the controversy of Galatians from three different commentators that I think are very helpful. And that's one of, we're just setting the stage for all this. This is J.A. Haldane, 1768-1851, Church of Scotland. It is enough for us to know that they, the Galatians, were Gentiles who by the labors of the Apostle Paul were converted to the faith of Christ, but by the arts of the Judaizing teachers had been led to suppose that in order to have acceptance with God, they must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So do you see how it just came in? Oh, you guys, keep Jesus for sure, but you've got to keep all this stuff too. Really? We learn, he writes both from the Acts and the Epistles, that the influence of these false teachers was very extensive and very prejudicial. That means they really thought it out well. It wasn't just happenstance. They were, they were well planned in their scheme. Their doctrine was eminently calculated to lead away the disciples from the truth. We, does the Scriptures all over not tell us that that's the theme of what the enemy tries to do to steal us away from the simplicity that's in Christ? Okay, And although the destruction of Jerusalem and the consequent cessation of sacrifices and other rites of Judaism, remember A.D. 48 is you know, roughly a little over 20 years from uh, A.D. 70, even though that, uh, that all ended, 
and promised to put a stop to the prevalence of that error that they were promoting because they could go to the they could go to these uh, these Christians these these Gentile Christians and say now you got to keep the law of Moses which means you got to go do your stuff in the temple you got to make your way and do all these kind of things. He says even though that was done away with in AD seventy, this error continues under a somewhat different form to pervade what is termed Christendom at the present hour and is the principal cause of the lamentable divisions which prevail among those who profess the faith of Christ. Now, I'm wondering, what are lamentable divisions? Lamentable. No one talks this way anymore. But it means, what are these divisions of argument that happen arise, that arise among Christians? And it's simply this. Two, there's two things. We're going to get into This is so big. It's exciting. I wish we had two hours. So... Um, I need, to keep all, I need to keep the law, respect the law, and live by the law to please Christ. No, no, no. Jesus fulfilled the law. We're not under law. We're under grace. We don't have to keep anything. We can do what we need to do because he paid it all. No, no. Then there's the middle of the rotor saying, you guys are trouble. But these are the lamentable divisions that happen. So we have what's known as legalism on one side and antinomianism, which is on the other side. Okay? Because I don't think any of us would agree that all Christians should just cast off the Ten Commandments and start having other gods and cheating on our wives and husbands and, and, and not loving our, our elderly parents. I mean, you see what I'm saying, right? So you have those two extremes, and those are the lamentable divisions. It still puts man in the driver's seat, whichever side you have, does it not? Okay, can't have that. Douglas Moo, I always think of that every time I open him up. If he ever, yeah, I'd be, so I'm sure he's quite nice. Um, just some of these last names. I, I like my last name. It helps with our Irish mission. Um, The basic situation Paul addressed in Galatians is clear enough from the opening of the letter body. Omitting any thanksgiving for the Galatians, which he normally does. Paul usually giving thanks to so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, but he doesn't here. Why? Because Paul is lit up like a Christmas tree on this. And it's all red. Error, 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 stop, stop. The It's going off. And so... Paul immediately decries their, he he calls it, in this writer, he calls it their flirtation with another gospel. Their flirtation. So here we are, we have have Gentile Christians in Galatia. We have Judaizers who are coming saying, oh, that's fine, Jesus is all right, but you need to keep all of this law. And they're entertaining it. They're, They're flirting with it. They're courting it, if you will. So, just to be silly, and because I think it works, and it's me, if you're trying to eat right, but you have a pack of Oreos in your pantry, there you are. It's 7 o'clock at night, you finally made it to your chair. You're probably drinking on some water, and you get a little relaxed, and you just hard, suddenly you have a, an image pops in your head. There they are. Come to and you think, no, because that's what got me into this mess. 
And, and it just keeps whispering at you, and you keep flirting with the thought. And then imagine, then you imagine splashdown. That would be the cookie and the milk, okay? Because <laughs> everyone knows that Oreos are better served with milk, okay? And you think, well, you know, I didn't have fries with my burger today. See what you're doing? You see what? You're, you're traveling down the road often traveled. But you still don't give in, and suddenly it's 8 o'clock, then you think, man, I'm tired. And I got to go back to that place tomorrow called work. And why not? Just one cookie won't hurt. And then by 10, you've finished the whole pack. Okay? <laughs> you flirted with it. You imagined it. You listened to it. You gave in. And though that be a lighthearted analogy on a more serious term, when you start entertaining false gospels as a Christian, when you start entertaining false teachings as a Christian that aren't based on Scripture or loosely, I should add, based on Scripture, you, you too are going to have a problem. Well, Professor Moo goes on to say, this counterfeit gospel is being propagated by false teachers who are confusing the Gentile Galatians by insisting that their faith in Christ be, now notice this word, I like it, supplemented. That sounds better than just supplement your faith with a little bit of Jewish stuff. Supplemented by submission to circumcision and other elements of the Mosaic Law. Now, generally speaking, and, and this is true, you can read about it in Acts 15, the issue was circumcision. They must be circumcised because that was a sign of the covenant, okay? The Mosaic covenant, which by, I might add, is a covenant of works that they failed miserably in keeping, amen? By which Jesus fulfilled perfectly, all right? Okay, but they, you got to supplement your faith this way. Do you know there's a movement afoot today called the Hebrew Roots Movement in churches? This is it. It's just repackaged. It's got a new name. Just supplement with, with some of these things. Do a little of this and don't eat that. Observe this, this high day. Pulling from the old Jewish calendar of the ceremonial laws. Just do these things. Hebrew roots. Right. Sounds like a cereal. But, as I always like, this is the best line ever on those kind of things. It's also like grape nuts, which you know means, right, neither grapes nor nuts. You're not getting what you think. I don't really even know what's in grape nuts, but it's not grapes or nuts. But they were supposed to supplement by submitting to these things and other elements of the Mosaic Law. And there's nothing changed today. And anytime you get close to that stuff, here's what happens. God is made smaller. Man is made bigger. It's no longer about what Christ has done. It's about what I'm doing. Okay? Now, and, and there are many other, there are, there are so, Branhamism was a big thing back in the day. Not too long in the past. William Branham, anyone remember from Arkansas area? You're from Arkansas, Annie. He has a pyramid on his grave. But he was a very popular false evangelist, okay, that went around and basically promoted these kinds of works-based faith 
things. And he has a huge following. And he still has a smattering of following today. Yeah. J.V. Fesco, it's better. Um, He's from Reformed Theological Seminary. He says, what was the main problem at Galatia? There was a group of false teachers who had descended upon the Galatian churches and taught them, that, taught them a different gospel. They taught that a person could be justified and saved if he believed in Jesus and was circumcised. So as I said before, this is about circumcision, but that's attached to all the other things in the Jewish law as well. Stated simply, to be justified is to be declared righteous before the tribunal of God. Justification does not involve a moral transformation of the sinner, but only a change of the person's legal status. You've been justified by faith before God. You're, you're declared righteous. But by contrast, sanctification is the sinner's moral and spiritual transformation and gradual confirmation to the image of Christ. That is sound doctrine. That's what that is. That's what Professor Fesco here is bringing up. Sanctification is a process that brings about the transformation of the sinner. Paul argues throughout his epistle that a person is justified by God's grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, and through justification is but one part, or, and though justification is but one part of our redemption, it is nevertheless essential as the anchor of salvation. So when you start messing with justification as your foundation, what saves you? You can't have anything built on top of it. We have a lot of rivers back in Oklahoma. They're made out and they've got a lot of sand in them. Red sand. Sometimes white sand, of course. But if you want to go build a house and you go down to the river bottom to do it, you'd be a fool to do it. It always floods and it's unsettled. You, can't, you cannot build a house on shifting sand. Scripture bears that out in Jesus' parable, right? When you, when you start messing with what justifies a sinner before God... And it's no longer Christ alone, but your work or your effort. You've just messed up the entire gospel. You're going to get terminal. That's called heresy. Heresy is that by which if you believe it and take it to its logical conclusion, it will damn your soul. Do you see how egregious and insidious these Judaizers were to these Galatian Christians trying to make shipwreck of their faith. Well, Brother Fesco goes on to say, in our justification by faith alone, God imputes or credits the perfect law-keeping or obedience of Jesus to sinners and transfers the sinner's guilt and penalty for his violation of the law of Christ. So not only is Jesus our perfect federal head, he fulfills the covenant of works. And, and, and when he did what he did on the cross, he actually paid the back penalty that Adam incurred. And by Adam incurring it, so did we. So he fulfilled it all the way through. So then his righteousness then is imputed to us. We can't, he goes on to say right here, there is no amount of effort on the part of sinful man, no amount of obedience that can secure our justification. So if you hear anyone say, oh, if you go to this building and go through this ceremony, you'll be right with God. Doctrines of demons. Okay. Hence, a person is justified by faith alone. We do not contribute our good works. 
And again, I just want to tell you, this is very, very prominent among all Christians, regardless of denominational tradition. The Reformed folks can get into it. The Charismatic brethren can get into it. The not sure what they are can get into it. Okay? They all can get into a, I've started by faith, but I'm being made perfect by my flesh. This is why, again, justification is by God's grace alone. God takes the initiative in salvation. It has to be that way or you'll never have it. Okay? Not man. Moreover, this is why justification and ultimately salvation is by Christ alone. Jesus is the one who saves us. We don't save ourselves. Our salvation is not a joint venture between us and Christ. I'm not helping him. Again, that's Pelagianism. Okay? Paul relentlessly, and I like how he said that, Paul relentlessly hammers these truths in his epistle to the Galatians. And I just want to remind you of our recent, when we looked at the survey, a growing number of professing Christians in American church from all across denominational lines are starting to put on a works-based righteousness. Now, and forgive me in the nursery, because uh, the, they get up, you know, I've got to hurry here. The law gospel distinction. Who all's heard of it? We often probably maybe haven't, but now we're going to hear about it. The law gospel distinction. Kim Riddlebarger. Kim, I think that's how we say that. Here's the definition of the law gospel distinction, which is what we see in Galatians. It's what you're going to see. Here's the law. Here's the gospel. Here's the law. Here's the gospel. The law is that which God demands of us. In Genesis 2, in the covenant of works, God told Adam, of all the trees you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you do eat it, you will die. Cause and effect. Here was the terms of that covenant. Ezekiel 20, or I'm sorry, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, as we go on, we read, if they did these things great. If they didn't, they got a lot of curses. Deuteronomy talks about that. So while the gospel is the good news, so the law is that which God demands of us, while the gospel is the good news that in Jesus Christ, God freely and graciously gives to us everything which he demands of us under the law. Here's one way to think about it. The law says do. The gospel says done. Get it? The law says do. The gospel says done. Galatians 2.16. This is key. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And then it says, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But Paul answers, asks a question. Is the law bad? Romans talks about this, right? And he says, therefore, in Romans 7, 12, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. One of the, so there's three uses of the law, which we're going to get into. But one of the first ones is 
The law is a mirror and shows us our need for Christ. It says, here's perfection and you can't do it. But it's good. It's a good law. It's holy. It's a holy law. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the law is the knowledge of sin. If there were no law, I would know my sin. But I, there is a law, and I do know my sin. So, what is the law-gospel distinction? We're getting close to being done. John Frame, he says, The terms law and gospel differ in emphasis but they overlap and they intersect. As you read your Bible, it's, it's a law gospel book. They present the whole word of God from different perspectives. Indeed, we can say that our Bible as a whole is both law, because as a whole it speaks with divine authority and requires belief, and gospel, because as a whole it is good news to fallen creatures. Because what do we do? If, if I'm just guilty, what do I do? You flee to Christ who can save you. Each concept is meaningless apart from the other. Each implies the other. Zacharias Ursinus on the commentary of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is weighty language, but he says, The doctrine of the church consists in two parts, the law and the gospel, in which we have comprehended the sum and substance of the sacred scriptures. The law is called the Decalogue. We know that to be the Ten Commandments. And the gospel is the doctrine concerning Christ, the mediator, and the free remission of sins through faith. The law and gospel are the chief and general divisions of holy scriptures. We see it all throughout. And comprise the entire doctrine comprehended in it. We have in the law and the gospel the whole of scriptures comprehending the doctrine revealed from heaven for our salvation. So, God gave us the law. It was there before the, the Sinai covenant. You remember that. But it was inscripturated there on that mountain. It's not over and gone. We have the law, but we have the gospel. We live there. Okay? And I think Spurgeon said it better. He always typically does. There is no point upon which men make greater mistakes than upon the real, but, but upon the relation which exists between the law and the gospel. Some men put the law instead of the gospel. Others put the gospel instead of the law. Some modify the law and the gospel and preach neither law nor gospel. And others entirely abrogate the law by bringing in the gospel. Many there are who think that the law is the gospel and who teach that men by good works of benevolence, honesty, righteousness, and sobriety may be saved. Such men do err. On the other hand, many teach that the gospel is a law, that it has certain commands in it by obedience to which men are meritoriously saved. Such men err from the truth and understand it not. A certain class maintain that the law and the gospel are mixed and that partly by observance of the law and partly by God's grace, men are saved. These men understand not the truth and are false teachers. The law points us to Christ. Christ fulfills the law for me. He's my mediator. And if anyone comes preaching another gospel to you other than that, let him be damned. Sent to perdition. And 
we really have to get a grip on this law gospel distinction because every heresy known to man, especially in the last little while, especially in the Western churches today, is, is because of this lack of law gospel distinction. And we see it perfectly fleshed out in Galatians. Galatians is the most beautiful book for the magnificent, preeminent gospel that Jesus saves sinners, him and him alone. And if you're lost in your sin, you can be forgiven from your sin. You can be justified before God as if you'd never sinned by repenting of your sin, coming to Christ in faith, and having Him impute His righteousness on your behalf, then the law is going to be lived out by you, not by your strength, but by Him, right? Because you have in Him a new life. That's what the beauty of Galatians is about. And we're going to get into so much stuff. Just hang on to your hats, okay? It's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to ask JT to come. If you've listened to what I've said, there's been a fire hose of information, as generally there is, but it really comes down to this. Are you being made perfect by the flesh, Christian, even after you've begun in the Spirit? Are you, have you somehow bought the notion that you're, after Jesus has saved you, that you're somehow gaining His favor by, by being good and doing things that are, Christian stuff? Or do you still lean wholly upon His grace just like you did on that day you came? And, and if, if you don't know Christ, Christian, maybe, is there proof of regeneration in your life? Is there evidences of Jesus in you? There has to be some. Or else maybe you're a professor but not a confessor. JT plays a little. We're just going to kind of have a time of looking inside. The altar is open if you need to come and pray. But flee to Christ. He's your, he is sufficient for everything.